Peace be upon you. So I'm going to read a written prompt written by the uh, neurologist Robert Burton. And I want to see if you can decipher what these uh, uh, expressions are talking about. So it states, a newspaper is better than a magazine. A seashore is better place than a street. At first, it is better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Once successful, complications are minimal. Birds seldom get too close. Rain, however, soaks in very fast. Too many people doing the same thing can also cause problems. One needs lots of room. If there are no complications, it can be very peaceful. A rock will serve as an anchor. If things break loose from it, however, you will not get a second chance. So when you're listening to this, you might be scratching your head, thinking, what the heck is this talking about? A newspaper is better than a magazine. One needs lots of room. A rock will serve as an anchor. And it may sound like gibberish or even absurd. But if I tell you that this text is describing a kite, all of a sudden you have a completely different feeling towards this prompt. So when we read that a newspaper is better than a magazine, yeah, at making a kite. A seashore is better placed than a street because of the open space. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may ha have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. That once you know that this prompt is regarding a kite, all of a sudden these prose, these verses become clarified. It becomes clear as far as what it is it's talking about. You know, your view of the text no longer causes uh, frustration or ambiguity, but instead confidence that you are now in on the mystery of what is being discussed. So the neurologist who came up with this experiment wanted to demonstrate real time how a person can experience the psychological effects of doubt and uncertainty to all of a sudden coming to the point of clarity and certainty. And there are two takeaways from this experiment I want to emphasize. Firstly, once you see the truth, you can't not see it anymore. Meaning once you know that this prompt is about a kite and you hear these expressions, you hear these uh, verses about it, it becomes obvious that, okay, this is the context by which it's being spoken of. And this shows that after obtaining knowledge of the context of what this is discussing and rereading the prompt, it's very difficult to read it and not think of a kite. This is called the curse of knowledge. That once someone learns something, it becomes very hard, if not impossible, to remember what it was like when you didn't know it. You know, consider right now, you're listening to me speak. And if you're listening to me speak, you probably understand English. Now imagine if you try to put yourself in the mindset of someone who doesn't understand English. How these sounds and words would appear to them. It's a very difficult task. It doesn't come naturally to us. And the reason is because we've already applied meaning to these sounds that are coming out of my mouth. The second point I want to hammer is this shift from uncertainty to certainty was not a conclusion as much as it was an emotional response. We call it an epiphany, that there is an emotional response that takes place once we understand something. This clarity we get, it's like a light switch where all of a sudden you just have this sense of knowing, this sense of certainty. You know, what previously seemed like gobbledygook all of a sudden took a valid meaning. And once that meaning was revealed to you, it was as if the veil of understanding was lifted and you could see the text for what it was. Such that once you were in on the secret, you may have felt some euphoria. So much so that you may even want to share that prompt 
with other people to see what their experience is like, to see them go from a state of not knowing to a state of not just knowing but certainty. God describes a similar phenomenon regarding the text of the Quran. Two people read the exact same text in a language they understand, yet one person recognizes the truth and accepts it, while the other is blind to it. In Surah 17, verse 45 and 46, it reads, When you read the Quran, we place between you and those who do not believe in the hereafter an invisible barrier. We place shields around their minds to prevent them from understanding it, and deafness in their ears. And when you preach your Lord using the Quran alone, they run away in aversion. God is describing those who, in essence, are reading the Quran, but because of certain factors, they're blocked out from being able to understand it that they're deaf, dumb, and blind, that it's as if they have locks on their minds. You know, a common criticism towards the Quran from disbelievers is that it doesn't make sense. Disbelievers who read the Quran fail to make sense of it and complain that each verse appears to jump from topic to topic without a coherent connection. Now contrast this to the believer who is introduced to the Quran. In Surah 5 verse 83 it says, When they hear what was revealed to the messenger, you see their eyes flooding with tears as they recognize the truth therein. And they say, Our Lord, we have believed, so count us among the witnesses. In Surah 2 verse 146, it reads, Those who received the scripture recognize the truth herein as they recognize their own children. Yet some of them concealed the truth knowingly. You think about the, this comparison, this metaphor of recognizing the truth like recognizing one's children. You know, if you see your own child, or let's say you don't have a child, your own parents, you know, you know intuitively that these are your children. You have this euphoric feeling towards them. You have this love towards them. You're attracted to them. This isn't something that you deduce. You don't make the conclusion. You just know you have this feeling. You have this sensation. It's ingrained in you. And it's the same thing for a believer who reads the Quran, that all of a sudden the message resonates with them. And this concept of resonation is that whatever frequency one's mind is towards their connection with God, that when they read the Quran, this amplifies their love, their consideration, their devotion to God alone. But someone whose frequency is not aligned with that of the Quran, when they read the Quran, it causes interference. And this frustrates them. This aggravates them. It repulses them from this message. In Surah 22, verse 54, it says, Those who are blessed with knowledge will recognize the truth from your Lord, then believe in it, and their hearts will readily accept it. In Surah 6, verse 114, it says, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. And this shows that in order to be able to understand the Quran, we need to have the correct frame of reference. But there's actually another step as well. We see in Surah 2 verse 89, people who recognize the truth yet make an active decision to reject it. It reads, when the scripture came to them from God, and even though it agrees with and confirms what they have, and even though they used to prophesy its advent when they talked with the disbelievers, when it came to them, they recognized from their prophecy. Then they disbelieved therein. God's condemnation thus afflicts the disbelievers. Here are people who, again, were prophesizing the coming of the Quran. 
And when it came, they recognized it, yet they disbelieved therein. So what was the trigger that caused them to disbelieve? And it shows, and this shows that there's two components necessary in order to be able to accept God's message. The first is the context, having the right frequency to be able to understand the Quran. And secondly, is the will by which to act upon what is stated in this Quran. In Surah 10 verse 9, it says, As for those who believe and lead a righteous life, their Lord guides them by virtue of their belief. Rivers will flow beneath them in the gardens of bliss. This outcome of how much do we accept the Quran and how willing are we to act upon its verses is directly commensurate to the degree of belief and faith that an individual has. The more belief they have, the more faith they have, the more likely they will be to be able to understand the Quran and not only understand it, but to be able to act upon it. You know, a common mistake many people make when trying to understand the verse of the Quran is they think they will get the right answer through research and study alone. As if they read enough translations, tafsirs, explanations, they watch enough debates, arguments, podcasts, that all of a sudden, that they will be able to have the correct understanding of the Quran. The mistake in this line of thinking is that it's putting the cart before the horse. They assume that it's their intellect, their reasoning, that will direct them to the truth. If the acceptance of the message in the Quran was strictly due to worldly intelligence alone, then submission would be full of PhDs, academics, and Nobel laureates. But there's another problem with this level of thinking. As we saw in 289, it's not just about recognizing the truth. It's about the, the motivation, the desire, the conviction to be able to act upon it when it's recognized. I had a friend in college that when I got the message, I was sharing it with him. And he's a very rational, sensible person, comes from an engineering discipline. And he assessed the Quran. He assessed the proof. He assessed the message. And he said, look, all this sounds true. I believe in it. But I have no motivation to act upon it. So it shows there was something missing. At the same time, I had another friend whose same thing, he accepted the Quran. And he started acting upon it. But the challenge he ran into was that he couldn't refrain from intoxicants. And this dissonance ended up being too much for him and eventually he fell off the path. Again, these examples show that there's prerequisites involved in order to not only accepting the message, but being able to act upon it. And we have examples of both these in the Quran. In Surah 5, verse 49, it reads, You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations to you. Do not follow their wishes, and beware lest they divert you from some of God's revelations to you. If they turn away, then know that God wills to punish them for some of their sins. Indeed, many people are wicked. What this verse is informing us is that the reason the people turned away was because of the sins they committed in the past. That because they committed these sins, they were not allowed to accept the message. That this shows that before you can accept the message, you have to repent and reform. You have to clean the slate in order to be able to see the light of the Quran. The second example is in Surah 3 verse 155 of people who accepted the message. They looked at it, they evaluated, they said, yes, we accept it. They even came out to fight when it was commanded upon them. But how did they react? 
In Surah 3 verse 155 says, Surely those among you who turned back the day the two armies clashed have been duped by the devil. This reflects some of the evil works they had committed. God has pardoned them. God is forgiver, clement. These people accepted the message. They believed. They even took up arms and were ready to fight. But when the real challenge came, they turned around and fled. And this shows that it was because of the evil works they committed before, they were not granted the ability of earning this credit. That God knew they did not deserve this and therefore were not allowed to participate in the actual battle. That instead they turned around and fled. And this was because of the evil works they committed. And the takeaway from this is, again, if we want to understand the Quran and we want to be able to act upon the truth of what is being stated, that the prerequisite to all this is righteousness. Imagine you wanted to be an appraiser of diamonds. You study how to grade diamonds by their cut, color, clarity, carrot. You have read all the books, studied all the materials, watched all the YouTube videos. But your loop, the magnifying glass you use to determine the diamond quality, is dirty or defective. So now, someone hands you a real diamond and asks you to appraise it. Because the tool you're using by which you're appraising is defective, your grading of it is going to be defective. Maybe it's a fake and you think it's authentic. Maybe it's authentic and you think it's a fake. Maybe its value is much higher but you deem it as lower. Until you fix and clean your loop, you're not going to be able to do the task correctly. And the Quran operates in a similar manner. In order for us to be able to properly assess the verses of God in the Quran, to be able to accept them, to resonate with them, to be able to act upon them, we have to first clean and perfect the instrument by which God has given us in order to make that assessment. And that instrument is our garment of righteousness. In Surah 7, verse 26, it says, O children of Adam, we have provided you with garments to cover your bodies as well as for luxury. But the best garment is the garment of righteousness. These are some of God's signs that they may take heed. This shows that before we start trying to go in deep into the understanding of the Quran, trying to see if this is something we want to accept, the first thing we need to do is to cleanse our garment of righteousness to make sure that it's operating correctly. And the mechanism by which we do this is that God gave us instinctive knowledge of monotheism and the distinction between right and wrong. So in Surah 30 verse 30 it says, Therefore you shall devote yourself to the religion of strict monotheism. Such is the natural instinct placed into the people by God. Such creation of God will never change. This is the perfect religion, but most people do not know. God has given every single human being this natural instinct to want to worship God alone. And we need to purify ourselves. We need to make our devotion absolutely to God alone before we attempt to understand the Quran. So this way we are applying the right lens in understanding this book. In Surah 91, 7 and 8, it says, The soul in him who created it then showed it what is evil and what is good. That during our creation, God placed in us this innate sense, this knowledge of evil and righteousness. And we all know 
the distinction between these two. We know what it takes to be righteous. We know the characteristics of evil. And we have to ask ourselves, are we doing things that an outside observer would view and say, that is evil behavior? Are we being rude, uh, judgmental? Are we being aggressive? Are we being impatient? Are we slandering? Are we backbiting? Because if we are doing these things, we need to purify those traits first before we'll be able to properly understand the Quran. God allows the clear understanding of the Quran to occur to those who are righteous. If we are failing in that regard and we're doing things that we clearly know are sinful and hurtful for our souls, we're destroying our garment of righteousness. And if we don't take care of that first and try to dive in deep into the depth of understanding of the Quran, then we have the possibility that it's not going to make sense to us or we're going to misunderstand what's being stated. And yeah, it's, this is a concurrent process. Is as we're reading the Quran, we're going through this purification. But many people, again, make the mistake where they try to put the cart before the horse. They try to understand all the verses of the Quran before they purify their garment, before they make sure, hey, am I abstaining from the major sins? Am I at least striving in that direction to better my soul? Because otherwise, they're going to have the wrong understanding when they read the Quran. In Surah 2, verse 177, it says, Righteousness is not turning your faces towards the east or the west. Righteous are those who believe in God, the last day, the angels, the scripture, and the prophets. They give the money cheerfully to the relatives, the orphans, the needy, the traveling alien, the beggars, and to free the slaves. And they observe the contact prayer salat and give the obligatory charity zakat. And they keep their word whenever they make a promise. And they steadfastly persevere in the face of persecution, hardship, and war. These are the truthful. These are the righteous. So this is a straightforward verse. And we have to ask ourselves, are we observing the contact purse a lot? Are we giving the obligatory charity zakat? Are we giving our money cheerfully to the relatives, the orphans, the needy, the traveling alien? Are we maintaining our promises? If we're doing these things, then it's showing that, again, we're, we're cleansing our garment of righteousness. And this is the lens by which we can understand and God willing, apply the Quran. In Surah 20, verse 114, it says, Most exalted is God, the only true King. Do not rush into uttering the Quran before it is revealed to you and say, My Lord, increase my knowledge. These are the kind of prayers we need to make in order if we want to have the correct understanding of the Quran. And the aspect is that when God says He leads us by virtue of our belief, that based on the degree of faith we have, He's going to guide us accordingly is that this decision has to be made first internally, and then God creates the conditions by which this decision is brought to manifestation. Imagine on the side of the road is a homeless person. One person walks past them and spits on them, says, get a job. The next person tries to avoid eye contact because they're embarrassed. They don't want to see them. They're disgusted by it. Another person might smile silently, give a prayer, Another person might say, give them a couple bucks. Someone else might get out of their way and say, hey, what is it that you need? What happened? Tell me your story. And each one of these are acting commensurate to whatever their belief is. That God is allowing them to earn more credit for this one deed that all these people walked past. And their actions are going to be reflective of their belief, their faith. That God would not allow someone who's evil to be able to earn this credit. But someone who God loves and who loves God, God is going to allow these opportunities to be opportunities of growth and development. 
to give them a status in this life and in the hereafter that's going to be commensurate with their degree of belief. So God willing, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably already reading the Quran. You probably, God willing, already accepted the Quran. The question is, how do we elevate ourselves? How do we get to a higher status? And if we want to go deeper into the understanding of the Quran and deeper into the actions that please God, we have to constantly be refining ourselves in our righteousness. That is, we're cleaning this garment of righteousness, purifying it, that God is going to give us not only the correct understanding, He's going to give us the will by which to act upon that understanding in order to God willing draw closer to Him. Inshallah, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact, we have a thriving Discord server. The invite link is below where you can talk to God-loving, Quran-alone-following individuals. If you want to follow on the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com. And if you want more information, please check out QuranicLabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.